According to the U.S. government, overdose deaths soared to a record 93,000 last year in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Floyd Mitchell is a harm reduction coordinator at the Alliance for Positive Change in New York City. Given the surge in opioid use and overdoses nationally, his work has become even more vital over the last year. Floyd is part of the Alliance's Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center. He's our guest on this week's Cityscape. Floyd, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. George, thank you so much for having me. So what's the mission of the Alliance for Positive Change? The Alliance for Positive Change program is a program that was started by Ms. Sharon Duke. Uh, it's a program, I guess, helping folks transform their lives. The lives of New York living with HIV and AIDS, the other chronic illnesses that go along with that, SUD, substance use disorder, uh, mental illness, homelessness. And the Alliance tries through its various programs to address those issues with their participants. By addressing those issues, uh, you stem the tide of SUD, substance use disorder, you stem the tide of, of homelessness and, and mental illness. So Alliance, uh, the way it is constructed, tries to be a full service program. How long have you been with Alliance now? I came aboard in 2011. I have been uh, in this field since uh, 1987. Sometimes you're fortunate to find something that you really love doing and you enjoy doing. It's so rewarding to have someone just walk up to you and say, thank you for helping me get my life in order. This career began as a, it was supposed to be three years. Uh, it was a grant study. And uh, here we are, 2021. This began during the height of the AIDS epidemic, right? This journey for yes, you. Yes, I, uh, I originally went to work for the National Institute on Drug Abuse as a substance abuse counselor. It was at the time when the epicenter for HIV and AIDS in the United States was located in Brooklyn, New York. We worked out of Woodhall Hospital. And this is at a time when NIDA and uh, its affiliates were trying to get some understanding of the number of individuals who were HIV positive and also the transmission of HIV. That is, was my beginning in, in harm reduction, talking about uh, sharing of needles and why you shouldn't and, and what you should do. So. How has harm reduction evolved since you started back in 1987, would you say? In 87, it was not something that was talked about the way it is today, such a, a global scale, national scale. We were practicing harm reduction and, and there were those who wondered if we were doing the right thing. The approach being that we were talking to active individuals and the approach was trying to gather information and just to come up and start talking about what you shouldn't do, that wasn't going to work. You're talking to people who were living a lifestyle that they have chosen. So the conversation becomes what you should do to stay safe and keep your partner safe. And that was uh, harm reduction basics, but it worked. 
you know, the information started to come out there and people started to listen. Today, it's, it's something talked about globally and in most quarters accepted because it works. That being said, Floyd, how have the needs changed, the needs of these individuals? Globally, nationally, homelessness, this past year, this pandemic really, really, really put a burden on our clientele, our population, our participants because of isolation. Those who did suffer with mental disorders had no one to talk to other than a phone call. Uh, there was no face-to-face -face contact. There was no interaction with anyone. Everything was either via this medium or phone. And that was it. So you had a population that was locked down in a sense, both physically and emotionally. The need, I think here we are in 2021 talking about substance abuse. So that much hasn't changed. You still have that population out there, albeit a new population is still a population. And it's people that we try and reach and help them work through their issues as best they can. You know, we still have homelessness. We still have substance use disorder. We still have mental illness. So until those in higher places start doing the type of funding needed to get people off the street, to get people out of subways, and to truly address uh, mental illness and to truly address substance use disorder. I'll be here and people like me. Let's talk more about the Alliance's Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center. What kinds of programs and services are offered at the site? Lower East Side, uh, LESHRC uh, is a, we try and think of ourselves as a full service provider. We offer uh, counseling, substance abuse counseling. We offer harm reduction counseling. We deal with uh, mental illness. We have a psychologist and a psychiatrist on board. We deal with medically assisted treatment, MAT. We have long been trainer of uh, the use of Narcan. So we, we try and, and cover the full spectrum throughout the Alliance program. But LESHRC being located where we are, we've been there for from Avenue C to Avenue to Allen Street, uh, 20 some odd years. So we try and look at an individual and see what an individual's needs are that will help them get to a better place in their lives. You mentioned Narcan. What is Narcan and why is it so important for New Yorkers to be trained in how to use it? Narcan is a, I guess we call it antagonist. It is a blocker. It is, it prevents opioid overdose. Naloxone or Narcan uh, was originally introduced in this country back in the 60s. And it was actually introduced as uh, a laxative for individuals who are on opioid medication treatment. Then they found out that it worked to reverse the effects of opioids. 
And so uh, the use that it is used for today, uh, Narcan prevents overdose when applied soon enough. Uh, I can't express that strongly enough. In today's world, with the advent of fentanyl, the overdose rate in the city of New York went up some 22-23%, and it was a direct result from fentanyl being introduced into the substance use population. So the use of Narcan has become stronger than ever. And you train people how to use it. We have a weekly Zoom meeting, Narcan training at LESHRC. Myself, my director, Riley Glasgow, my coworker, Al, all are trained in teaching someone how to use Narcan. It's a matter of someone logging in and, and taking the session. The session can be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, depending upon the group and questions asked. But we've been doing this for a decade when uh, it wasn't talked about as much as it is today. You mentioned that that's a Zoom meeting. How have you adjusted your services at Alliance's LES Harm Reduction Center amid pandemic restrictions? What was the past 15 months like for you? We had to hit the ground running. We had to find a new avenue to reach out to people. We had to find a new venue to reach out to people. And so uh, we created Zoom and talking to our clients and talking to our participants, we realized the separation was there. And so we knew we had to provide some kind of counseling, some kind of sessions, face-to-face -face with individuals and trying to address their needs. It was not easy, but, but we, we maintained throughout the year uh, doing, Zoom, doing Zoom sessions, group sessions, individual sessions, trainings. This, this pandemic, at a time when you have uh, substance use populations has been polluted with fentanyl and carfentanil, synthetic opioids, couldn't have come at, at, at a worse time. And so we, we had to find a way to reach out to people, reach out to folks and talk to them. It has not been easy. Many in our population did not have access to a computer. So we had to find ways to reach them via phone and uh, do what is called face-to-face -face calls. But uh, we worked it out and, and, and stayed the course. Talk to me more about the challenges of outreach and connecting with folks who need the help. We have a team uh, that goes out on outreach, engaging in conversation, engaging an individual that uh, upon first approach may not want to talk to you. Getting his or her attention is the, is the key to working outreach. Uh, our teams go out throughout the Lower East Side, part of the West Side, and they engage 
men and women, and the results have been positive. And, I, and I'm very happy to say that the results have been positive. People have responded. Our outreach team, uh, their peers, and volunteers, uh, and when they engage an individual, they talk to that person, not at that person, and that gives them a sense of, of trust and understanding. Outreach, uh, you have to be willing to engage a stranger. Not often an easy thing to do, but once that is done and you do get a response to that, nine out of 10 times it's a positive response. Talk to me more about these peers that you mentioned. Who are the peers? Our peers are part of our foundation. Much of what we do, we could not do without them. They engage our participants almost on every level from entry into uh, setting up appointments, into interacting with them when they are in our, in our spaces. The peers are individuals who have some just are of a mind that they want to help the community that they're in, that they want to give back. Some come from a life of, of use, substance use. Some come from a life of abuse, all walks of life. So when they talk to our participants, when they talk to our clients, it's someone that can touch a person because they have been where that individual is at that moment in time and they have found their way out of it. And so we are extremely grateful for our peers and our volunteers because these are folks who give up their time and, and effort and ask nothing in return. Floyd, what would you say are among the biggest misconceptions when it comes to substance use? I think for many, many years, when people talked about substance use, the person that they pictured was someone down and out and dirty and raggedy and, and, and vile. And uh, that is not the case. You know, substance use disorder, you know, there's no economic barriers. It, it doesn't doesn't pick a color, doesn't care about that. Uh, it's, it's people in all walks of life and who need help. And sometimes it's, it's not so much about abstinence and recovery as it is about helping that person navigate their way through the ups and downs of their lives and what they want to do and how they want to do it. That's really the foundation of harm reduction. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want to ask you, what do you want to do? And I'm going to try and help you get to that place that you're seeking. Somewhere very similar to a doctor's oath, first do no harm. That's harm reduction. So the misconception is who's, who's addicted? You know, is it the person without a job? Is it the person who is homeless? Is it the person who's mentally ill? Is it the person who's living in a half million dollar condo? It, it crosses 
all barriers, all lines, all economic situations, substance use disorder has no boundaries. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is, or has been in the past, that individual that abuses the substance and what he or she must look like. Many people are surprised that it doesn't look like the person you thought it would be. What would you say you've learned the most since joining this field back in the oh, late 80s? For me, I think one, never give up because during the early 80s and mid 80s, we did not have the medication that we have today. We didn't have the treatment plans that we have today. Back then, uh, as a counselor, when that envelope came back from the phlebotomist from the lab, you kind of hesitate to open it up because of what might be inside. And so in today's world, uh, we can talk about longevity. We can talk about not knowing how long a person will survive. Uh, all they have to do is maintain their medication load. So for me, uh, one of the things that I've learned and, and, and truly appreciated is watching someone turn his or her life around. Watching someone go from the moment that you met them in dire straits to being uh, employed, having their own place to live. Uh, as one of my participants always says, I have the key to my front door. Never thought I would. Uh, and so that for me has one of the things that has uplifted me throughout the years and kept me in this field is I, I think bottom line is, you know, I help someone help themselves. I made a difference in someone's life. And that is uh, extremely rewarding. Do folks stay connected with you? Do you make lifelong friends? Uh, throughout the years, yes. Uh, there's someone that uh, I just got a call on Father's Day. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, because at, at the time that you are involved in someone's life, you're not thinking in those terms. You, you're dealing with the immediate situation and uh, trying to help that person get to a better place. So this has been something that uh, I got a phone call from California and one from North Carolina and one from Florida. Uh, very satisfying, very uplifting. I definitely get the rewards, Floyd, but I would imagine that there also has to be a lot of heartache as well that you have to deal with. Well, uh, <laughs> it, in this field, doing what we do, they'll be hurt. Uh, as, as, as a counselor, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be surrounded by individuals that I can turn and talk to, uh, individuals who have hurt themselves at, at times. But that is something that uh, we know is there. We have had to deal with that over this past year and, and prior years when someone comes through the door and say, have you heard uh, a phrase that sometimes makes you shudder because the minute you hear it, have you heard? It's, it's uh, yes, uh, I did or, I, or sometimes I haven't. 
And someone walked up to me and says, you know, Mr. Mitchell, did you hear? And uh, the next thing out there, Miles, is uh, this individual passed away. You get to know someone over a period of time, that person's passing will affect you. You will feel it. I, I don't think I could do what I do without feeling. You can't distance yourself from it to the point where you don't feel anything for the person sitting across from you. You must have some empathy for him or her. And with that comes the fact that uh, if something happens and, and that person expires, you're going to feel it. It's good that you have that support network, though, because I would imagine you need to rely on that support network. You, you need, in this field, you know, as in many others, but in this field, you, you need a support network. You cannot isolate yourself and, and go through this and do this work all by yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's not your normal nine to five. You know, because throughout the day, someone may walk up, ask to see you or ask to see someone. And that person has been through some horrific minutes in their lives over the past weekend, past month, past year. And, and they're asking you to help them straighten that out. You cannot be singular in, in, in thought and thinking. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to have a session with this person and they're going to talk to you about the pain that they're going through and, and not imaginary pain, but physical and emotional pain. You have to have some sense, some, some depth of empathy for that person and what he or she is, is dealing with. And if you don't have a support system, then you're taking on a lot emotionally. Uh, it took me a while to understand and, and, I, and I was surrounded by some very good people earlier on that talked about, you may not think consciously that you're carrying it with you when you walk away, but it's there. And so what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? And how you deal with that is you sit down with someone else and, and have a colleague that you can speak to, that you can talk to and share that weight. What do you think the longer term mental health and substance abuse impacts of the pandemic will be even as the city begins to reopen now? I think it's going to be a while before we really see how devastated uh, the SUD population was. Uh, the mental health issues that arose from being isolated and uh, separated from uh, care. Most, most programs throughout the city were closed down. Uh, social services was done by phone if you could get somebody on the phone. People were worrying about how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to get their food. Uh, in some cases, uh, folks wound up on the street. The, the mental health issue of, of this pandemic and the substance use disorder population will be around, I think, for the rest of this year and part of next uh, before we get to see just how devastating many programs still haven't opened back up fully. Clients still have not seen caseworkers to find out what their situations are. So uh, 
we are looking at our, our own situation. Our numbers are just starting to rise and change because of the pandemic. People were afraid and many still are not knowing what the interaction between COVID and substance will be. So they stay isolated and that's not the best way to be at this time. You know, so we try and reach out to those folks, but I think the mental health issue we will have to deal with for a while. You know, I think of the analogy of a storm, right? A hurricane can blow through and you can be sitting in your home. You don't know what it looks like outside until it's all over. And that's you right. see the long lasting impact, the devastation. It sounds like that's what, unfortunately, we may be waiting for. Once the storm clears, we're going to see really the deep impact. It's a fact. I truly believe that. I, I, I will be extremely surprised if I'm wrong. I'll be very happy. But I, I just don't think so. I think once we get to quote unquote back to normal, whatever that will be for 2021, 2022, we will see the aftermath of, of this pandemic and uh, what it brought to many people's lives. Boyd, you seem like a man to me that has a motto. Do you have a motto in life, would you say? I think my motto is just keep moving, keep moving. You're alive. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. Uh, I've been blessed over the years to be able to do what I do uh, without any injury. I'm, I'm at a moment in time, and, but uh, that's that's. If you're moving, you're alive. If you're alive, you can make changes in your life. You mentioned volunteers. How can people get involved and make a difference? We have a website, www.thealliance.nyc, or uh, we're on Facebook, LESHRC, Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center. Uh, just, uh, or you can contact me, Floyd, at alliance.nyc. I'd be more than happy to set up a, a meeting or I do volunteer orientation every first and third Thursday of every month via Zoom. So if someone wants to volunteer their time, that's how you reach us. What are some of the things a volunteer might do? Our volunteers from making kits for outreach, for manding our phones, Mending the, the syringe exchange, interacting with our participants as they come up to the door for aid. So they, they work alongside us just about in every aspect. What's your advice for someone who may be listening, who might need the help themselves? And what's your advice for someone who may be listening, who has a loved one or a friend who needs the help? Talk to them, reach out to our program, reach out to someone. You know, sometimes folks don't want to get involved, but that's the key to survival for somebody else. Get involved, you know, reach out to the Alliance. Get that individual to reach out to the Alliance. It's, it's a phone call, it's a beginning. Uh, 
sometimes you, we throw our hands up and say, I'm done. Or uh, that's the way they want to live, let them live that way. It's one thing when you have someone who feels that they're independent and, and they don't need any help, they're doing okay. It's another when you see someone who is struggling and it is about making a phone call, not to make that phone call, not to urge them to make that phone call, can be detrimental. So uh, getting involved is just about a phone call. Getting involved is just about you saying, you know, I'm going to try and help this person. And I think if, if we kind of stay the course on, on, on that level, we'll do okay. Uh, it's work to be done. It's, it's a lot of work to be done, but it's doable. I don't think uh, we would have come to where we are today in, in as much as HIV medication, uh, sustaining life. Someone put their foot upon the path and kept moving forward. Just keep moving. Floyd Mitchell, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, George, for having me. You can learn more about the Alliance for Positive Change and its many programs at alliance.nyc. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Madison Colombo. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thanks so much for listening.